Hey everyone, thanks for being here. This is our show called Means of Creation, where we're talking about the passion economy and the future of work. And today we're joined by our special guest, Turner Novak. He is a angel investor, meme creator, TikTok influencer, micro-influencer. What a burn, <laughs> micro-influencer. Wait, Come on, be- what? <laughs> I have like 50,000 50, something, isn't that? There's like a micro-influencer. I was trying oh, to wow. be precise, but I realized I shouldn't have. Turner's um, gonna no, storm okay. out. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't I don't think of myself as an influencer. I like so I'm okay that I get the low. Sometimes the low, we low, do low. actually really interview real. Okay, I'm just gonna stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. You don't think I'm a real influencer? I get it. Turner, you have a lot of influence on me. I'll just speaking personally. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, Lee doesn't listen to what I say. She doesn't care. She's like, eh. <laughs> He's kind of funny, but he doesn't influence me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's, let's reset the room. Turner's awesome. Despite everything I've said so far. (laughs) Why are you doing the intro? We should have had Nathan do it. (laughs) Well, okay. So moving on past everything that I've said already, he also writes really thoughtful long form blog posts. And he is a former GP at Gelt VC working on something new. And yeah, he's just really deeply insightful about consumer technology, social creators. And so we're really excited to have him on the show. So thank you so much, Turner, for being here today. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm glad I made the cut. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So first I wanted to start with the... The story about Substack, I mean, it's not really anything new that's happened. It's a program that has been in existence for a while, I believe, called Substack Pro. But recently, it came to light because Hamish wrote a piece um, about why we pay writers. I think that was the name of the piece. And just really since then, uh, there's been a lot of strong opinions on both sides about this program. And to summarize, essentially, Substack has hand-selected a number of writers for whom they grant advances, and it's meant to be a stipend that replaces their income for the first year that they're on the platform. And then after that time is over, they move over to the regular revenue sharing program. And I think to summarize a lot of the feelings about this program, the criticisms are basically that it's it's opaque. It's They haven't disclosed who's actually being who's actually in this program, who Substack is paying. There's questions over how much is Substack exercising some sort of editorial strategy here and supporting financially these creators who may be quite controversial. But I think in the piece that that the team published last week defending the program, they really framed it as they tried to make an effort to make the selection of the writers quite diverse. And it is ultimately aimed at supporting the creative ecosystem and supporting writers who would otherwise have difficulty in transitioning to this model. So wanted to discuss that with you guys tonight, and then we can discuss all sorts of other topics, but we'll start with that. I think you had a really interesting point on it when we kind of brought this up earlier on Monday. Forget the the law or the rule, section 230 or something. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was that again, specifically? Oh, yeah. Well, well, Section 230 is basically the law that says if you're an internet service, like back in the day when it was written, I think it was like forums were like the big way that people communicated on the internet. 
that for forums weren't liable for content that their users published in the same way that like a magazine was an, an article that they published. And the thinking was that basically there's zero marginal cost to host content. People are just submitting stuff. Like you don't really know what's going on. Your cost structure just doesn't work if you have to be liable for communication platform and, and it has different economic dynamics than, than publications that, you know, unless invest a lot of scarce sort of like shelf space and time and money into like, and they pay for something in order for the content to exist. There's kind of like a difference there. And that's, that's been under, you know, kind of, it's been in question. It's been volatile lately. What, what the future of that will be. Obviously the Trump administration was kind of like wanting to basically they arguing that there is bias against conservative viewpoints and wanting to use that. But there's a lot of questions about how, I mean, platforms should, it seems like there's this tricky thing, which is like, yeah, there's a lot of really terrible stuff that happens on platforms that I think everyone, that's not, that's a non-controversial statement. And so mm. what responsibility do platforms have? And like, it's funny because we've been talking about, I think, you know, for most of the Trump era, the responsibility to like remove content or users. And then here we're kind of in this interesting flip scenario where it's like, well, Substack is investing in creators and they're not really like editing them. And, you know, they're not like approving or rejecting posts you know before they go out yep. but they are financially investing in them and it feels a little bit different and closer to a publication but it's just different it is different but it is closer and so it's like it's it's interesting like how how should what should the new like norms be and mores be around and, and accepted standards be around this kind of stuff and maybe laws you know like how do laws change because of this yeah i've always kind of thought of it as like a growth thing because mm -hmm. like if you <laughs> If you get a really high profile writer, you're, you're paying them or you help support them, get them off their feet and make the jump from a publication and saying, hey, publish on our platform. If you get the right people, they're like, hey, I'm using Substack. Come read my Substack. All of their writer friends, all of their friends in the same industry will also see it. And they'll be like, oh, Substack looks cool. I'll use it too for my independent business. So it, like in a way, it's like a pretty effective way to like kind of market and grow the product. So that's what I kind of thought initially. That's probably why they're doing it is like oh, get totally. the right people on board. And like, so it's like, they probably didn't come into it saying, let's get certain viewpoints on here and, and influence how people are thinking about things. But to an extent, like they did actually choose who they brought on. So you could probably argue that, yeah, they are influencing certain things in a certain way. I don't know. Yeah, totally. It's weird because it's like a lower bar than like we agree with what they publish, which is kind of the stance that a publication has. But it's a higher bar than we'll not kick them off the platform that they could self-serve, like walk in the front door. So you know what I mean? Like it feels like yeah. there is to some degree an endorsement, maybe not like personally, politically for the team members or whatever, but like just that it's a good thing that should exist in the world in some way and like is, has merit. It's like, how could you not? How, like, how could you write a check for like hundreds of thousands of bucks to someone if you felt like they were causing net harm in the world? You know, like you probably would, you would find it distasteful and you probably wouldn't. So it's really tricky. I don't, I don't like think there's an easy answer to it, but for sure it originated as a growth thing. Like you said, where it's just like, yeah, we want to get great writers on the platform. And a lot of the most yeah. interesting writing is controversial. I think that a lot of the folks who are upset with the program are upset because it's just not transparent and they are refusing basically to publish the list of the writers who were selected for Substack Pro. Um, oh, and they I never actually published it? Mm -mm. No, it's, oh, it's, interesting. it's okay. still not clear who is in the program and people can sort of guess based on how high profile of a job they had before and things like that, but it's it hasn't ever been published. And I think that is 
definitely a valid concern because if I, Nathan, to use your analogy of like, they're, they're funding these people, they're providing the seed capital. I mean, investors try to be transparent to potential companies when they meet with them as to who their current portfolio companies are, because that can actually impact the decisions that you make and the conversations that you have. And just as publishers often, they, they will explicitly label a piece as being from a contributor versus from one of their own writers. I think in this case, like it feels very similar to me. Like these writers are essentially being paid a salary by Substack for the first year. And so they are indirectly supporting the existence of this content. Totally. I've just talked like everyone into silence. Yeah, I know, right? No, it's like degrees of support, you know? Like anyone who uses your platform, you're like supporting them in some way because your software does a job for them. And so it helps the thing exist. And then like, but that's like not very scarce. Like the marginal cost of one extra person using the platform is zero for Substack. And, but cash is like, I think there's something about like, what's the, what are the principles that could like determine how we handle these things going forward, given that it's not exactly a publisher, but it's also operating differently from a traditional, like, you know, whatever, totally hands-off platform. It's like something about the scarcity of the level of support or the marginal cost, the amount of the size of the bet you're making kind of on the person. It's like, there's, there's something about that, that like matters and, and creates like a closer tie, I think, between mm -hmm. the creator and the company. It's interesting too, with Substack, cause it's like writing, it's just so inherently like when you're dealing in the world of ideas, they're like powerful and dangerous and like, you know, entertainment platforms, I think face some of this, but it's probably a little bit, it's a little bit different if it's like- It's more like lighthearted, I guess. Like Substack, it's like some hard hitting stuff. Like we're, we're reporting things that you really want to read versus maybe like TikTok, it's like entertainment, What's right? What's happening? Oh, wait, sorry, Turner. I think you're muted maybe on, tw on Twitter spaces. Sorry, because I can see you on our Zoom. Oh, Sorry. you're right. I was. There you are. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was so confused and Lee didn't say anything. So I thought it was just me, but sorry, Turner, keep going. Well, I think it's kind of like, I feel like when you're talking about other platforms, like, like Instagram or TikTok, like it's just a video, like someone did something funny or like, right. like a, per, like a beautiful person's like, like do like making something, whatever versus with Substack, it's like, this is like some hard hitting analysis. Like I'm reporting something, like I'm breaking something that people want to know. So it can kind of like, maybe it's like, you really do have to take that stuff seriously versus like, yeah. it's just like a picture from Justin Bieber or something like who cares. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's a little bit, I think it's a little bit easier for like, it's interesting. Cause you know, Snapchat is paying creators who submit to spotlight. And like, yep. there hasn't really been, I'm sure they've paid out orders of magnitude more money than Substack has yeah, <laughs> total a million a day. I don't know. I mean, Substack's probably paid a couple million, maybe, I don't know, just based on wild conjecture. I have no inside information into this. Also, I should disclose, I used to work at Substack in case no one knows who's listening, but I haven't worked there in over, I don't know, like two years, I think now almost. So I don't, there's a lot that I don't know anymore, but yeah, basically like, I haven't heard anything like this about like. Snapchat doesn't have any transparency, I think, into who they pay, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Like, people Although say people if they typically, got money. Right. They're very public because it's a <laughs> yeah. celebratory yeah. moment. But yeah, I think you're right because the the other analogy that I was going to make is like whenever the social companies launch a new feature like Reels, 
usually there are deals that happen with creators and they get paid for posting on that new feature, but there hasn't really been an outcry about, you know, who's getting paid to do reels or to go on IGTV or anything like that to the same extent that there is this backlash over Substack Pro. And I think Turner, to your point, it is because like the written content that's on Substack is just so much more dense and like people have strong, it elicits strong opinions and knowledge is power and power is dangerous. Mm -hmm. You know, right. It doesn't feel lighthearted kind of like throwaway content. It's stuff that really influences a lot of people's thinking. Like VC thought leadership. I mean, that super, it changes the world. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's very true. That's very true. None of us are getting paid by Substack, by the way. I know. Um, yeah, what are we doing with our lives? Well, I mean, every used to be on Substack. So we were getting paid through Substack. And, and I did receive a salary when I was an employee. <laughs> so it's it's worth noting yeah. just in the spirit of full transparency. But yeah, no, I, I, th- I think it's really interesting how, I don't know, like what, what, it, it's just a new thing. And, and, and I get, it's like a really important thing. And it feels kind of like a bummer when it can't be treated like, hey, this is like a complex new thing you know? And like, it's not obvious, like what the right thing to do is in the same way that like, like standards that have been around for a long time in other fields are like, you know, it's like, it's, it's like you, you, you have established patterns and those patterns actually are built off of the way that like technologies work almost. And so you, you develop social norms, like on top of that. And like, technology's changed and the social norms are like thrashing around right now, basically. And we're trying to figure it out. Like, I think it's, I think it's kind of reasonable that when Substack started doing this, like that they didn't disclose it because it was just an experiment. Like you don't want to announce a program that you don't know if you're going to keep doing or if it even works or makes sense, you know? And at what point do you announce it? Like, I, I don't know, like it, it, there's no, like, it's, it's a little bit tricky. I think, I think it is important though. I do agree that like, I think it makes sense for it to be like a public thing. Of course you don't mm-hmm. want to like publish it without the consent of the writers. Cause if you did a deal with the writer and the idea was that it was like a private, it was a confidential sort of like business transaction. And then you publish it without their consent, then like that's bad. But also it feels kind of like it is nice for for people to know kind of like who's in the program, because I think people have the right to like sort of make their decisions about what businesses they want to do business with based on their values. And if someone doesn't like the decision Substack is making, like that's good. I don't think Substack really is the kind of company that like wants to hide behind that like the the post that they wrote about their stance on content moderation they've been pretty straightforward about like here's what we are and if you like it we're for you and if you don't we get it but this is just our philosophy you know so i think it goes alongside that to disclose who it's like yeah. here's who we fund and if you like it awesome if you don't then we get it like there's other places to go it's interesting though that the approach that they've taken towards towards substack pro is so different from the clubhouse accelerator mm the Clubhouse Creator First Accelerator Program, which I think just got announced last week, where they're selecting 20 creators and helping them to like build their audiences, partner with brands, monetize their shows. And that one has like an open application. There's a type form that's going around. Presumably the people who are selected will probably get publicized given that it was an open application. It feels like the end outcome of this program is probably going to look similar to what Substack Pro has been, which is like they help creators get off the ground. But it's just interesting that they have taken such different paths to get there. 
Totally. And the response to Clubhouse's Creator First program, by the way, was like super positive. That was my impression. And I think it is positive because it's been framed that way and it's it feels very open to all. I feel like part of it too could be like Clubhouse isn't really battling against any like incumbent audio publications or products necessarily in the same sense that Substack is basically saying like we're unbundling every newspaper and like <laughs> a lot of people don't like that yeah so it's almost like easier to get really really upset about it too like I wonder if there's certain if there's there's probably like a lot of legal regulatory stuff like related to being employed in that industry or something like I I have no idea what they are but I yeah. they, they could probably get you could probably pick a bunch of stuff apart that they're you know they're not treating journalists fairly or something like not compensating them the right way compared to how you should, if you were at like a union publication or something, I don't even know if that's a real thing, but it yeah. feels like that could be a case. Yeah, totally. Well, a lot of that stuff, as far as I understand it with journalism is really based on norms, like ethics disclosures and all that kind of stuff. There's not really very many laws around that kind of thing. Cause it's hard to enforce. And it's like, yeah, it gets really, it gets really slippery, but I do think yeah. that there's like a set of standards that, you know, leaders of these of these newsletters and or newspapers, you know, <laughs> and, and publications. And uh, it's funny to think of the New York Times as like a newsletter, you know, but it is just a piece of paper that gets mailed to people in this in the way. But it's like a whole institution and a set of practices and a history and stuff. But at the end of the day, the surface area is similar. But anyway, the it's obviously not just a sheet of paper. It's a website, too. But and an app. But the the set of standards that have evolved around that are like, I think, really important just there's this whole, like when you go to journalism school, I, I don't know, cause I haven't been, but there's a ton of stuff you learn. And I'm starting to learn a lot of it just cause of every, like what I do now. But I think a lot of readers take it for granted, you know? And this was, there was a thread like a month or ish ago where basically there's like a journalism professor, I forget her name, saying like, no one should read Substack. No one should, no one should subscribe or pay for anyone or like, don't start a Substack. Don't pay for any Substacks. Because- I remember she, that. I think her worry was basically like all the standards that exist in traditional newsroom environments, like don't exist on Substack and it's going to make the world a worse place. It, Cause like when power sort of devolves from those places, the other, the new people who have the power, like probably won't use it or cause they just are like, I don't know. It's interesting. Cause it's kind of like social media versus like TV or something. TV was like more concentrated and more prescribed and the content was more like down the middle and social media, you got a lot. There's a lot of stuff, you know, yeah. of varying, varying quality to put it lightly. I'm curious what you think about that. You, Cause it sounds like you you thought you saw that thread and you had thoughts. I don't even totally remember what it was. I just, I do remember thinking like, <laughs> I gotta be careful what I say. I remember thinking like, eh, this is maybe like a little bit, a little bit much old, old industry, but it was right. like a good point. So that's, that's what I'll say. <laughs> Yeah, it's tricky. It's like if the upshot is it's unethical to pay for any Substack, it's like okay, like, but like there is there is a point about journalistic standards. I mean, certainly at is there every a point that like the content should just not exist, or that we shouldn't pay for it, or like I mean, blogging has been around for a long time. Right, that is a good yeah, point. Exactly. Blogging has been around for a long time, and a lot of really valuable voices have come out of blogging that wouldn't have been granted entry into you know, by the gatekeepers or whatever into the public sphere. And, and so, you know, that's, that's, that's right. It point. seems like she's saying that we could do this activity for free. We're just not allowed to make money from it. Uh -huh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Maybe. 
That is actually. I don't 100 remember. It was a couple. It was like a month ago. So I also did not read this thread, so I'm just totally interpreting based off of what you said. Probably, yeah. It's probably a good guess, though, to be honest. Yeah, I think I think the key thing about the money there is, you know, if people are just doing it for free, then not that many people are doing it, and it's not probably having that much influence or impact. But once people start doing it for money, and there becomes an economy built out of it, it becomes more of a force in society, and so mm-hmm. it's less that. It's some, you know, people shouldn't be allowed to make money. And it's more if people are making money, then they're probably operating with a greater degree of importance in the world overall as like a system because there's an economy around it and people get serious about it and specialize and grow. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the, I mean, the original like raison d'etre of Substack is that like the business model of advertising was not sufficient to support thoughtful writing Mm -hmm. and content that was nuanced and like was of a higher caliber that would actually be nutritious for people to consume. And by implementing this business model of a subscription newsletter, like we could actually have more thoughtful voices out there being able to publish on a consistent basis. And so it feels like the argument she's making is similar to the argument that Substack made as to why it should even exist. Yeah. Versus the free content that is ad based was like made to accrue as many views and clicks as possible. It is an interesting counterpoint. It kind of makes me, it kind of makes me think about when you think about like different, different industries being threatened by anyone being able to make money on the internet, doing something and not going through the, like the traditional gatekeepers like what other kind of reactions we might see to other platforms that help other creators earn money online versus going through the old way of doing things. Like if we'll see any kind of interesting kind of pushback on some of those things. Yeah, totally. I enjoyed our chat about Substack. There was a thought that I had at the end that I just wanted to throw out, which is like, when you get, when you create these sort of platforms and you give people a lot of power and especially they start to grow audiences and especially if they don't have a lot of experience kind of like maybe they haven't internalized some of the norms or culture that like are basically ethics based you know where it's like the reason we do it this way isn't because it's good for us it's because it's good for other people but we've learned over time that it's better to do that that you end up with situations where people can harm other people and i, I whose responsibility is it Cause like, do you expect new people coming in who don't know anything to like know any better? It feels sort of like you could expect some situations where people will just screw it up. And like, so who teaches them? Does the platform teach them? Like, is there some mechanism for, I mean, I don't know, just like overall there's like discourse. So someone could write a post saying they think this is bad or whatever, but like think about YouTube or like Vine or people do so much dumb stuff on there that like harms them or harms other people. That's like, they're motivated. It's like, do it for the vine. You know, that was like the old thing that people used <laughs> yeah. to say. Y'all remember? Like, yeah. it's like, they're really motivated by this force, this like network that's come into their life and this belief that they can use it to like, you know, gain clout basically. Yeah. And so it's creating a new incentive, but it's not, it's not kind of guiding the incentive in any particular way. And so there's some kind of like chaos that results from that. It just feels like a general purpose mm-hmm. thing. And I'm curious if y'all have any, like, do you agree? Do you have solutions? I don't know. Yeah, there was a really cool tweet the other day I'm totally blanking on who wrote it but basically like the internet lacks any sort of negative feedback action Mm. like we can't dislike posts we can only like them or move on and therefore you never get any sort of constructive feedback on like you know 
maybe this tweet was not the best and like you, you could have reframe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Instead, people just ignore. Right. So there's like as as a creator, you don't get that kind of negative feedback from people. You just get ignored. And I think that makes it difficult for people to have a, a closed feedback loop where they can get feedback and improve on their work. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder because I know people were protesting, like requesting a Facebook dislike button like for like the last like 12 years, right? And they never added it. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if that just like hijacks the conversation. I feel like I've seen things like negative discussions or anything like that isn't perceived as being happy or positive. It has like a certain times more impact than positive mm-hmm. types of things. So they like, like the best thing to do is just like, just cut them out and just like not reinforce it or something. Maybe that could be part of it. Yeah. I almost feel like, I don't know if most creators would be able to interpret negative feedback in any sort of way that's like constructive. Cause like, I think what you really need in that situation is like a mentor slash coach to be like that in it. But like, here's what is it, you know, (laughs) like, and you're okay. Like we all make mistakes and like that kind of stuff. And like, that takes a human relationship kind of. And I honestly wonder if there should be more like, like, and this is to subsex credit, something that they've, they've done is put together a mentor program. And, and it feels like the best way to do it. Yeah, totally. Where it's like, it is scalable. It is human. And, but it's sort of like, what if it was like, you know how clubhouse, like everyone has like a parent and grandparent and great grandparent or whatever, except like Paul and Rohan, who I guess are gods where there's like, cause everyone had to have an invite. Right. And it shows you oh, on the family yeah. tree. I guess Paul and Rohan are like Adam and Eve, but like, but the, anyway, the, it would be cool if like, you know, to like get an acceptance into some sort of like creator program, like, you know, on Twitch, it's like the partner program where you can make money or with like Snapchat at spotlight. It's like, here's the, here's the creator section of this rather than being a regular user. Like to get into that, what if you had to like have a, like a mentor or something and you can still create content. Like you could still tweet, you could still post videos, whatever, you could still post posts, but like, there's sort of like a, a little bit of a gate that's just like, literally someone kind of needs to be responsible for you in some way and like take you under their wing. It was extremely slow growth though. It was like totally impractical, but. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you're running into the issue of like the people only take people under their wing that they identify with or are like yeah. closely aligned with. So it's like, it's really hard for other people to like break through that aren't in the traditional kind of industry or yeah you'd have to really do you'd have to do a great job seeding it to make sure you'd have to really carefully manage that yeah and that would just be a hassle (laughs) and it would probably limit growth so i get why i get why (laughs) it's probably not the most practical idea but it feels like you know like i kind of it's weird like starting like a media company i i feel like it's really important like seeking out mentors who like have worked in this before and like understand not just practical things of like how to succeed but also like yeah, just ethical things or, or, or just like norms and moral standards or whatever. I don't know. It feels like there's those things kind of go hand in hand. Like they're both valuable. I don't know. And like how we pass them down is just so different now because the gates are wide open. That's like the big difference between after, like after internet and pre-internet world is like the gates are wide open now. So all mm-hmm. those sort of mechanisms we had where people had to go through a specific channel, you know, or like everyone already has a channel and things emerge in this sort of organic way or whatever good point yeah i'm curious is there anything that's on your mind lately about like just sort of like the creator economy or like 
the different platforms. I'm just curious what you're what you're interested in these days, because I'm always such an avid reader of your tweets, both the the meme and serious ones. So we can go in either direction. Yeah. But I'm just curious what's on your mind these days. Yeah, I I definitely have not said as many like serious types of things. My ratio of not taking Twitter as seriously to taking it seriously has been a lot in the lower, higher. I don't know what the right thing to say is there. Over the last probably six or seven months, I've just had other things I've been trying to work on. So yeah, I think the one thing that's super interesting that I, I talked when we were talking Monday that I kind of mentioned was like this whole like controlling distribution. So yeah. if you just think about like Twitter as like a like information distribution channel, whatever. I mean, you open Twitter and it's giving you tweets, just like written content videos people are linking to podcasts linking to newsletters linking to clubhouse rooms twitter's kind of making moves to like capture that value yeah and then the thing that i think was so interesting that twitter did like a couple of years ago was switch the feed from just being people that you follow to also being algorithmic so like if you like rip off a really good tweet and like people like it and you know it gets a lot of activity like the retweets don't really matter it's just if enough people that you are kind of in your network are interacting with tweet, a lot of other people are going to see it. So it's, it's similar to TikTok in that sense. It's not quite the same, but it's like, if you are really like a good creator of like, whatever that content is, it's more likely that people will see it. Like, it's kind of like TikTok at the one end of the spectrum is like extremely algorithmic at the complete other end. It's like a Facebook or an Instagram newsfeed where it's right. like only like your follower graph. Yeah. And then Twitter's kind of in the middle now, I guess. And maybe Clubhouse is too. Like Clubhouse is kind of algorithmic, but it's also sort of who you follow. Yeah. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I've always been like, wow, like Twitter had all this potential to do all the stuff they're doing like for the last 10 years. And they started doing it recently, which is like, it's, it's awesome to see them making moves, but it's also like, like you just don't know like they've kind of tried to do stuff like this in the past and then just nothing's happened so yeah i'm always a little bit hesitant of like really buying into it because they've just kind of let us down a couple times already um so. Yeah, but judging by their execution here just like using twitter spaces right now something seems to have palpably changed would you agree oh, yeah. with that like it, they seem to have hit their groove and they're just shipping really quickly and like, I think they have seen that there's such a huge opportunity for them to not just be the top of funnel where creators are building an audience and engaging people, but then like leaving the other platforms to suck up all of the value from that. Yeah. I think they're seeing the opportunity that they have to capture the value on platform within their own ecosystem as well. And they seem to be executing quite well in that direction. Yeah. Because I think the beauty of, and like what makes any internet business valuable is just like controlling that end demand with the customer like yeah. whether it's b2b or consumer and like i mean that's why facebook is a i don't know what it's trading at like 800 billion dollar company because it just like essentially dictates how like a couple billion people run their lives and like use their phones yeah totally so if you have a so if you have a product like a twitter or potentially a clubhouse where it's like you open clubhouse and your intent is like you know i'm using it every night i'm going i'm finding things to do you know, if you fast forward 10 years, is Clubhouse only audio rooms? I don't know. Probably not. Like they're yeah. probably gonna have to add more things, but it's just like a, 
it's like it's like owning that lock screen on your phone like that four things on kind of your dock bar where you've got yeah, like totally. those are the apps you use all the time it's just like if you can be one of those apps and just like be the someone's entry point into accessing the internet like it's just so strategic and then you kind of figure out okay how do we make money how do we like you know help the people using our platform make money so i think twitter is in like such an interesting spot and to your point lee like they've definitely this is like the best shot that they've ever taken like they're yeah. executing pretty well and it's like oh it's actually you know it's all working like they haven't fumbled it yet so totally i think of it like a russian nesting doll or whatever where it's like but instead of just like one layer that gets smaller and smaller it's like each layer is really complex and has a lot of different sub layers but it's like the higher order of a habit you own the more valuable you are so like what's the highest order it's like the phone itself the physical device right <laughs> and like the operating system that powers it it's like incredibly sticky it's really important it runs everything else and then within that yeah it's like your doc it's like what are your key things it's like email it's like so much of your life runs on like email or like what messaging apps you use or like what are your kind of like top order habits like you know twitter or facebook or instagram or tiktok or whichever one it one it is that you're kind of like habitually going to and like what you're looking to for it from and then within that there's like accounts that you really like that's like oh i like it when i get an email from this person or when i see this person's tweets or whatever and it's kind of like the value gets sort of like thinner and thinner as you get like smaller in the russian doll world does that make sense (laughs) yeah i think that's a good analogy at least i get it hopefully everybody else does well, the thing I've always Lee thought- is neutral. Lee is neutral. like, what? <laughs> what are you guys talking about? Yeah. Well, the thing I think is really interesting about Clubhouse is like, if you've ever tried to launch and grow a podcast, you don't just pick up your phone and be like, start room. And you like start recording your podcast. There's so many other things you have to do. Clubhouse literally makes it where it's like, you just launch a, like a podcast, quote unquote. Yeah. It's not quite the same thing, but you're literally doing it from your phone. So, and like, and it's, it's ironic because for most podcasts, they're not recording them on your phone. You're like recording it on your computer. You've got like a fancy mic, et cetera. Like we're literally recording this right now on zoom and somebody will probably use some program to edit it. But clubhouse is literally like launch a business, like an audio based business from your phone. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like kind of compelling for certain people. Like, and I personally think I'd be terrible at doing like a weekly interesting audio based show right but there's like some people like i've been in some rooms on there i was like man i would totally pay money to listen to this and support them and it makes it super easy and like if you can figure out how you analyze the content in the rooms and figure out like wow this show is crushing it we got to source it higher in the feed for more people to see and like you know there's probably a lot they have to figure out there but it's basically you make clubhouse place you open it up and it's just like discovering interesting content and like and that's the thing like if they can make it so that somebody's first time using it they're like holy crap like this means of creation show like this is awesome like i'm gonna tune in i'm gonna pay like they'll keep coming back every time so it's like a dance like how do you figure that out and that's probably why they just raised a bunch of money because like yep we're gonna try to figure it out i think the key thing is just quality of audience kind of and creators it's just like who's there and like what people will listen to me if I show up there. And that's why it's so interesting Lee, what you said earlier about like, you know, so we've, we've, we've now held the show in three places. We've had it live on zoom. We're invited everyone to a zoom link. We've had it on clubhouse and we've had it here. And it's a little bit different every time, like not just how many people show up or how it feels, but like who shows up. And it's just so fascinating. Like, I don't know how to, how to navigate that if you're running Twitter spaces or you're running clubhouse 
And this is, by the way, it relates to why Substack is paying people. So it's, I don't know, take it full circle. Did you guys look um, at the amazing, the crazy, epic, long Twitter thread yesterday that was, that was published by Sean Pori about yeah. Clubhouse and the ultimate- When it was a dozen tweets in and it was still just visualizing how <laughs> exciting it must be to start Substack or start a Clubhouse, I, I dropped off, to be honest. But I, I was hoping someone would summarize it for me. So... Well, what did he, what, what was the point he ultimately got to? Wow, you weren't on the edge of your seat. I, I told him, like, if no. you just replace Paul with Harry Potter and publish this on Wattpad, this story would do really well. <laughs> <laughs> the hero's journey. Uh. Okay, so let me try and summarize it for you. So so basically, this, this tweet thread, I wonder, is there a way for me to share it in this space? I have no idea. I'm not going to try and figure it out. Oh yeah, there was like, yeah. I heard in spaces, there was a thing where you can like kind of make a tweet, like a focal mm-hmm. thing that everyone's looking at. I have no idea how to do it. Do no. Maybe because I'm the admin. How do I adjust settings? Yeah, you're um, the host. So but you while you do that, essentially there's like, he basically predicted that there's two strategies that Clubhouse is going to chase and both of them are going to result in dead ends. And that those two strategies are one, to pursue really high quality content, like programmed content, like the kind of shows that we're doing and planning and scheduling guests for that draw in a ton of users, like like whenever they have Mark Zuckerberg in or Elon Musk or whomever, who is a huge focal point and, and drives a ton of audience and maxes out the room, like that's going to be the first strategy. And then the second strategy is going to be chilling, chilling with friends, like meeting people and just chilling there over audio and having like basically phone calls. And the reason why both of these strategies were doomed, he said, was for the content strategy, audio content is really, really different than Twitch content. It's content that is being like, even the most engaged clubhouse hosts are probably broadcasting for one hour, maybe two hours a day max. It's not like a Twitch streamer who's literally playing this game as their full-time job for 12 hours a day, producing high quality content for their audience around the clock. And so as soon as like the content dries up, people are, are not going to come into the show. And if you missed like the critical part of a produced piece of content, you've basically missed like the whole conversation or like, it's not like a conversation is not fungible, like how you can drop in during a video game stream and really get the gist of it at any point in time. So you need something interesting happening at all times in order to make the app worthwhile. And then... I just tweeted the thread. I tweeted it at Lee because I didn't want to like do like top level tweets. So look at my like tweets and replies or whatever. I just said, this is the thread. I just, you know, Everyone's I don't want to endorse it. It's a little... As, as a writer, this you know, I'm just, I got to say, it was a little self-indulgent. I just, a little self-indulgent, Sean. I like Sean. I think he's a good writer. It's just that thread was a little bit much. Yeah. So to anyway. continue my story, which is becoming a more long-winded version than his original tweet storm. Essentially, like under the content strategy, you're catering towards creators with a big audience. And so you need to build these power user features like scheduling, guest management, recording. And the minute you introduce like recording people are no longer going to have a reason to come into the show. Like they're going, these power users will want to push the content out elsewhere. And so that diminishes why people would come into the app and listen to it live. And then the second strategy of chilling isn't going to work, he said, because it'll have great retention, but poor growth because people don't want to chill with new people all the time. They want to chill with the people that they're already friends with. And people are very much of the mindset of no new friends, 
So there's not going to be a lot of growth under that strategy, even though it'll be sticky. And then at the end, he predicts that the founders are going to sell to Facebook for $90 million, spend a year PMing Facebook audio before quitting and traveling across Southeast Asia, and then only vowing to work on enterprise SaaS for the rest of their careers. The end. It's very, very invigorating. Turner, I'm curious what you think. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it was all good points. I've never been the founder of a social company. I think Sean has, right? So he probably can yeah. speak to that pretty well. Yeah. Yes. Bebo, I mean, I right? think yeah. one of the interesting things about something like, like any live product and any more like asynchronous on-demand recorded product is like, you don't have that problem of like having to fill the app with content every time of day. It's just like, if you're making like a video app, like TikTok, just get 24 hours worth of content on there every day, or like an hour of new content every day or two hours of new content, no matter when people open it up, there'll be something interesting. Or like Spotify and audio, like Spotify, there's always new music. There's always new recorded podcasts versus Clubhouse. Yeah. You do have to figure out that it's almost like a liquidity problem. Like you have to get the liquidity high enough where you constantly got interesting things happening. And yeah, if you miss it, you can't like go back like with anything that's recorded, like on demand, you start every podcast from the beginning. Yeah. You start every TikTok video, YouTube video from the beginning. So yeah, it's kind of like, you know, like TV or radio. I mean, it's like, a I weird... think I shared the tweet. Did I share it? It's interesting. Oh yes. Oh my gosh. You did. It worked. Wait, there's did someone DMing me with all of these tips about how to use Twitter spaces. They were the one who also told me to, how to turn off the sound effects and the captions and wow. Give this person a wow. shout out. Yeah. I think this out? person might be Jack's yeah. account. <laughs> I, I'm, I really? don't know how else anyone else. Wait, are you being serious? His name is Com. I, am I allowed to reveal your, once I get permission, I'll, I'll give him a shout. Yeah. Throw Jack, their profile sure. up on the screen um, there for everybody to see. <laughs> yeah. No, but here's the thing. I'm so curious what people think about this because the point you made in there about when they introduce recording features, will anyone even use it? It's so interesting to me because it feels like creators desperately want it and, and it would be really useful for creators. And But I do think less people would show up live and yeah. more people, if, if you get a recording, you, then you can probably listen to it in a podcast, do whatever. Yeah. Maybe you're not listening to it in these apps. I imagine they could introduce a recording feature that would make it like exclusive to the app, but you could listen to the recording in the app. So at least you're still using the app, but there's, it's almost like a prisoner's dilemma. Like if I'm Twitter spaces, do I introduce recording? It's, it's better for me if I do and Clubhouse doesn't, but it's worse for all both of us if we both do. You know, <laughs> shout out to compound two, four, eight, who is in the fourth row here <laughs> for being the, That's I think so must be anyways, compound two, four, eight. Thank you for all of the Twitter spaces tips. Yeah. Thank you. Compound. Cool. So, but yeah, I'm curious what y'all think will happen. Like, will they introduce recording? It seems like they will. They clubhouse in their like speaker applying to be um, in the accelerator thing mm -hmm. that they're doing. They said like, what features do you want? And one of them was like recording. So it seems like they're going to do that. I think so. There's a it. bit of a prisoner's dilemma here because Twitter has announced that they will introduce recording features into spaces. I'm pretty right. sure they said that to natively record the conversations and release them as edited podcasts. And so if that's the case, I think 
Clubhouse will be forced to do that. Otherwise, yeah. the top creators are going to opt to do that. I feel yeah, like it makes sense. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, like, I feel like one of the really interesting things about Clubhouse is kind of the participatory nature. And same with Twitter spaces. Like, if you're in Clubhouse, you, you're in a room like let's just let's just say there was that room earlier it was like zuck daniel ack from spotify toby from shopify and we're all like in the audience and we're like we're sharing space with them we're there like we're all in a room together like this is so cool and you can also go up and like and talk to them and you're like hey like i'm on the stage with them like how cool is this you can't do that if it's recorded like you can really only do that live so like, I feel like that's kind of the part of the magic of Clubhouse is like knowing that you're live sharing a space with these people. But I remember like there was a night where someone was like, oh, Naval's talking. It was like the second night I was on Clubhouse or something. And I was like, oh, cool. Like I'll listen to it. And like somehow I got called up onto the stage with Naval. And I was like, oh, shoot. I didn't mean, like, I don't know what happened. And Naval was like, oh, Turner, like, wh- what are you doing? Like, get, it's just us talking, like, get out of here, like, go, go back down or something. <laughs> and so I like tried to leave. So I, yeah, so I, like, I left the room and I tried to get back in to go in the audience and it put me back on the stage again. And I was just like, oh shit. I just like closed the app. Like I didn't use it again for an hour. I was just like gone because I was like, I don't know what to do. It was like the second day on the app. And there was like every single person using the app yeah, was totally. on it at that point. But that, so what I was getting to is that that doesn't happen when it's like recorded. Like it was such a magical <laughs> moment, right? It was, it was hilarious. Like the whole thing was so funny. This yeah. is the core use case of the live audio room tent format is accidentally stage bombing while Naval is speaking. That is oh my God. the purpose. Yeah, no, I get it. Cause there, a lot of podcasts do record live. Like I, there's this podcast called Accidental Tech Podcast and it's been around for like 10 years and I, it's like classic podcast kind of territory. Oh, nice. And like, I love it. And they record a show live every Wednesday. And the thing is, I usually don't listen and I've wanted to listen. I actually have never listened live, but I always kind of want to. I'm a little bit like, it'd be fun to like be in a you know, chat room and stuff and whatever, especially if they made it a little bit participatory. Like if you're willing to buy like a t-shirt or go to a live event, you might be willing to like listen to a live thing, yeah. you know, like on, on an app on your phone. And a lot of podcasts have sold a lot of tickets to live events and t-shirts and stuff. So they probably sell many more virtual event, quote unquote, scare quote tickets. Yeah. And um, I feel like when you so. charge, like if your monetization model, if your clubhouse somehow involves live participation or like live listening or whatever like i just feel like that's that's the secret that's the really hard thing to do i mean as somebody who invests in early stage consumer companies i mean it's been a lot of similar audio apps and none of them have gone anywhere near the magnitude of success the clubhouse has had because it's really hard and like they've basically built this up we should use the native functionality of uh, these live audio rooms and see if see if anybody wants to come up that we know so i'm going to end the the video portion of this See you next week, video. See you guys. Thanks for being here.